When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome, Elon. Let's Great. talk rockets. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Let's talk really big rockets. Okay. Let me take you guys back in time a little bit. 15 years ago, I think it was a week past, SpaceX successfully on its fourth attempt launched the Falcon 1 to space to orbit. And I think it carried, if I'm correct, 165 kilogram payload. Today, uh, you're... Oh, go ahead. It, it was just a, a test payload uh, on the course launch, so no actual satellite, um, because the first three launches, unfortunately, had failed. So we didn't want to risk the course launch with, with an actual satellite. Um, but uh, we're very happy to have launched a Malaysian satellite on the fifth launch uh, of Falcon 1. Yeah, Fantastic. So let me make the contrast. Today... You're preparing for the second launch of Starship, which has the ability, yes. to, uh, ability to launch up to, up to 150 metric tons in a reusable configuration. If I'm doing the math, yeah. and you're better than this than me, 900 times the capability, roughly, of Falcon 1? Am uh, I getting... Yeah. Uh, Falcon 1 looks like a child's toy, by comparison. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a staggering achievement, what you've done in 15 years, and all the team at SpaceX, I think we're all just in awe. Uh, of how fast that progress has been made and to pioneer reusability uh, for orbital launch systems is, uh, I think, something to be tremendously proud of, both for you and the team there. Um, it stands this vehicle now, I think, something like almost 400 feet tall, roughly over 120 meters. Uh, it's a massive Starship spacecraft and super heavy rocket itself, collectively known as Starship, and it produces more thrust than the SLS system, the Saturn V, and uh, Russia's old N1 rocket. Is that correct? Uh, yes. The, the current version of the, of the Starship uh, produces just over twice the thrust of Saturn V. And um, with the upgrades that have, we have in the works, it'll do uh, about three times the, the thrust. So Saturn V in, in the sort of um, old Imperial system would have been seven and a half million pounds of thrust. Uh, we're, we're, we're at about 16 right now. Um, and we, um, with, with future en engine upgrades, we'll take that to about 20 million pounds of thrust. Amazing. Uh, yeah. Simply amazing. So I know you guys have said you learned a lot from the April 17th from this first launch attempt. There's been some upgrades to the vehicle. I think it's, it's a Booster 9 now that you're launching with uh, Ship 25. Is that correct? Geeking out uh, the yes. numbers. Yeah, the kids that follow online. <laughs> uh, these numbers are, are uh, maybe a little... Um, not, 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 it's not quite the 21st booster because uh, what would happen is we would redesign the, we would make a new design and then uh, we'd actually scrap uh, units that were in progress. Um, so it's, it's um, 25 is perhaps, it's, it sounds like we built 25 units, but we haven't actually built 25 units, we built 
probably about 12. Um, it's a lot. Um, and, um, yeah, so, so the way through it really is that this is, this is a flight two, um, and, uh, has a number of upgrades on both the ship side and the booster side. Um, we've done a lot more for, uh, with, with, with engine isolation, which is incredibly important. Um, we've tried to draw as many lessons as possible from the Soviet N1 rocket, which was it's probably the closest in design to Starship. Um, I believe it had 29, um, NK-33 engines, if I recall correctly. Um, and, um, there was a very, quite a high thrust, uh, ro rocket, uh, and they, unfortunately, I think actually that rocket on, on all things considered was, was a great design, um, but uh, did not receive sufficient ground testing. So never, never made it to orbit. Um, but that would have been the sort of the closest probably parallel to, to, uh, Starship. Um, the, 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 really the biggest difference, the most fundamental difference of Starship is that it is designed to be fully reusable, uh, with both the booster and the ship or the, both the first and second stage. Uh, be, uh, are designed to be fully uh, and rapidly reusable. So, that, so we're a, a truly profound revolution in mass orbit. Uh, you have to have, uh, I call it, uh, the four, the four R's rapid, rapid, reusable, reliable rockets. R R R R R R R I love it. Like a pirate. R R Everybody give me an R. R R R R R so what does, what does success look like for this, uh, flight number two? What does success look like for you? What are you trying to achieve? Um, well, I, I do want to set expectations, um, well, not too high. Um, so there's, 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 there's a amount of new technology in this rocket. Um, we are, we, we have actually changed the entire stage separation system from, um, uh, something that was, uh, I'm not sure how to describe this, but, 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 um, it, it, it kind of a, 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 a uh, just, just a, a rotation and flip. We're, we're trying to, we're, we're trying to move to a passive stage step system where you don't have pushers essentially, um, in, in the, to try to eliminate parts. Um, there's no pushes, no interstage like Falcon 9 has. Um, and, uh, with, 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 with Splight 2, we're actually trying to do, um, hot stage. Um, so, so hot staging would, would mean that we, uh, light the, the ship or other stage engines, uh, while the boost engines are still partially thrusting. So we throttle down and shut down, uh, most of the right. booster engines. Then we light the, uh, the ship engines and there's, there's a vent area, which looks comically small, um, actually, <laughs> um, which hopefully is not, uh, because you're, you're, you're essentially blasting the top of the booster with the ship. Um, uh, now this is actually, uh, from a physics standpoint, the most efficient way to do stage separation and the Soviets, uh, and, and later the Russians, uh, made, uh, extensive use of, um, of hot staging. Um, and, but, but of course, uh, this is the first time we're doing it. So I'd say that's, that's the riskiest part of the flight, uh, or flight two. Um, and if, if, if the, if the engine's light and the ship, uh, doesn't blow itself up during stage stuff, so, uh, then I think we've got a, a decent chance of reaching orbit. Um, now, now it, it, technically it's, it's a, it's a scooch below orbit because it's, it's going to do almost a complete circle of the earth, but then 
flashed down somewhere, somewhere in the Pacific, uh, just off the coast of Hawaii. Um, because the, the ship is designed to re-enter, um, and has a, as a heat shield. So we, we, we want to make, now we, we don't know if this, we think it will work, but we aren't sure if it will work. So if it doesn't work, we want it to not work over the Pacific, which is a very large body of water, um, with almost no people on it. That's so. excellent target. Excellent target. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I always think it's funny that you know, people call Earth Earth because Earth is water. Um, <laughs> Earth is seventy percent water, <laughs> and if you take a a, a, a you know um, the the a, a, an actual round version of the Earth, not not a Mercator projection, um, but at, at the globe, and you center it on the Pacific, it just looks like water. It's, 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 it's like, where's the land? <laughs> so anyway, this is, this is quite helpful when, when you're do, doing experimental rocket flights. So how many more test flights are coming up? And when do you think you're going to try to catch Starship on a tower? With, the, with our giant Mechazilla? Yep. <laughs> giant Mechazilla. Uh, listen, I saw Congress versus Godzilla, and that's what gave, what gave me the idea. Uh, in fact, if, if we gave our tower legs, it could just tromp around like like Mechazilla. Um But but we have we, we have a giant um, custom designed tower with massive mechanical arms that will literally try to catch the booster and catch the ship. Um, which it sounds insane. I mean, I haven't even seen a sci-fi movie that does this, you know. Um, but it, it, the theory it should work. It's, it it work, Let's just say success is in a set of possible outcomes. Um, I'm not, so, I'm not sure what the probability is, but success is somewhere in that. Is, is success possible? Yes, I think it's possible. Um, but in terms of catching it, I think, um, well, well but for, the, on, for the ship side, we, we obviously want to make sure that it actually comes in fully intact and, and lands at a precise location in the Pacific before uh, we try to catch it uh, at, at the, the launch site because we, 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 we're, we're taking every proportion we can uh, for uh, that we do not risk uh, any any human lives uh, or or destruction of property. So uh, it'll be a few flights. So so for the ship, it'll be when we yeah. see the ship landing at a precise position in the in the water. Uh, that's when we'll uh, try to catch the ship with our Mechazilla on the tower. Uh, the booster, obviously, booster flights we've we've done many times on Falcon Nine, so we're much more familiar and have uh, much higher confidence uh, with booster recovery. Um, We've actually had the booster boost back to land and, and land at uh, Cape Canaveral Air Force Base um, many times. Uh, albeit with landing legs, not with the Mechs and arms. Um, the booster, I, 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 I think, I think that there's a decent chance, depending on when our licenses are granted, that we would catch the booster within the next uh, year or maybe less than a year. And, and then hopefully, uh, if we get lucky, we might catch the ship um, towards the edge of next year. And where does the catch take place? Is it Willie Mays in the middle of the outfield over his shoulder, or is it Florida somewhere? Uh, no, it, it, so the, 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 both the booster and the ship come back to the launch site. Okay, fantastic. Yeah, that, that's what I mean by the, 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 this, this. It, in fact, um, I mean, the, the, the thing that is this says we need a giant tower with customized uh, arms to lift the, the booster and the ship onto the launch pad. Um, 
we don't absolutely need it. We can technically do it with, with, with humongous cranes on a low wind day. Um, uh, but that's quite unwieldy. Um, the, the, the tower with the arms is capable of lifting the booster and the ship, even on, on, on a, on a, on a very windy day, oh, moder moderately windy day. Um, so then it, it just seems to me that, well, if we can lift the, the, the ship and the booster, the, the ship onto the, onto the launch stand, or the, the booster onto the launch stand and the ship onto the booster with those same arms, we should be able to catch the, the, the booster the ship with those same arms. Um, yeah, we've, we've gotten pretty good with, with, um, with, with, uh, thruster based landing. Um, and in fact, we, we can make this, we, uh, we can make the, the rocket hover in midair. Um, in fact, we were able to do that many years ago. If you look at the old, uh, Falcon 9 test videos, uh, which we called grasshopper, where, where we'd actually take Falcon 9 booster and we'd have it just go up and, and hover at a hundred meters and then translate over another hundred meters, then translate back and then come back and land. So we were able to do that really over a decade ago. Um, it's, it's not obviously very efficient with propellant to have a rocket hover, but it can be done. Um, so that was, the, I was like, okay, well, let's just have the rocket come back and, you know, hover briefly, um, and have the, like, then the arms come together and catch it. So that's the, that's the general idea is, uh, going back to what I was saying, what was, it's not, it's not just reusability, it's, it's rapid reusability. Um, uh, and, and it doesn't get more rapid than bring it back to the launch site. And so in principle, the, uh, the, the booster, it must come back very fast, by the way, one, one way or another, that booster is coming back to land or it's going to land fast because, um, with, with, with the high thrust to weight that we're, we're aiming for, which is sort of on the order of 1.3 to 1.4, uh, the, the, and, and, and a staging ratio, which is currently about, uh, three to one in favor of the booster. So the propellant to, um, the propellant on booster to propellant on ship is about three to one on on the current version, but it's trending closer to two to one on, uh, with, with future versions, uh, that means that we're, we're shifting more and more of the, uh, Delta V burden to the ship side. Um, that, that means the, the booster actually, uh, uses up its propellant quite quickly. Um, and we'll, we'll trend towards about a, only about a hundred seconds, um, or so of a booster flight. Uh, and the booster will immediately flip around, boost back to the launch site and land. And so it, it, it really, we're talking about the booster being back at the launch site in about four or five minutes, which is pretty, pretty wild. I think it's like five, five if, if, you know, five minute booster, basically, um, it's back, it's, 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 it's landed somehow, whether it's, it's either crashed or it's landed on the, it's been caught by the arms, one of the two, um, and within five minutes and. So, so, so then you then lands back on the launch stand and, uh, you can then refill propellant. The, the, the booster, the ship side obviously is going to take a minimum of an hour and a half to get around the planet. Um, still going pretty fast, uh, but you go to circle the globe. Um, and, and obviously that, that depends on what, uh, inclination. And so what's what your launch azimuth, what's your inclination of the booster as to whether uh, it has a flight coming back over the launch site or not. If it, uh, it, 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 it's technically possible to do it in a single orbit, depending upon your, um, launch, uh, inclination. Very good. So, so Bruce come back in an hour and a half, uh, a ship, ship, sorry, the ship could come back in about an hour and a half. 
any uh, any prediction on when you're going to start deploying satellites uh, with Starship? Yeah, I, th I think we will start deploying. Um, but I think there's a good chance we start deploying Starlink V3 satellites uh, next year in roughly like, roughly a year from now. Um, because we, 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 before we are comp confident that the ship, like I said, the, 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 the hardest part about this or the part that will take the longest is the, sh is, is, um, solving for ship, safe ship reentry, um, and landing. And, but, but before we solve that, we can launch the satellites because in any case with Falcon 9, um, the, the, the upper stage is expendable. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's actually fine to start, start launching satellites even before we solve for, for, for ship reusability, that, that, that is the hardest part of the equation. So with, with Falcon 9, we've, we've gotten pretty far with reusability. Um, you know, the, the, the booster, it's now highly unusual for the booster to not come back and land. It's, it's, so it's gotten quite normal for the booster to come back and land. We now have a couple of boosters that are have done 17, I think 18 flights at this point. Um, and, um, and, and, and then the fairing is also recovered. So the fairing reusability is also solid. Uh, but, but the Falcon 9 design does not allow for a reusability of the upper stage. Um, so, and, and the Falcon 9 does it while reasonably rapid, if you, especially if you've got a, a return to, uh, launch site landing still takes at least a few days to refurbish before you can fly the game. And so with, with, uh, with Starship, um, actually more profound than the size, uh, is the fact that it is fully, it is designed to be fully and rapidly reusable. Um, the, the reason for the absurd size is that we're trying to build something that is capable of, uh, of creating a permanent base on the moon, um, and a city on Mars. That's, that's why it is so large. Otherwise we could make it much smaller. So I think the, the diameter of Starship, uh, in, inside the envelope is something like nine meters and inside the, the top yep. envelope is about 17, 17 and a half meters of usable volume. This is an incredible amount of, of space, right? An unheard of, uh, volume. What does that, what does that open up the possibilities? What, what kind of things can we, we fit in that space? Uh, what does it mean, uh, for the industry as we look ahead at, you know, maybe you can give me a. How many whales or how many starlings can you stuff in there? I don't, I don't know what the right metric is, but give us a sense of size. Well, I mean, like when you, when you step into the, uh, the, the starship, um, bearing or payload volume, it, it looks like a cathedral. It's, it looks absurd, frankly. It's like, why wow, this is a ridiculously gigantic. That's that was my first impression when I, when I first went up there in a man lift and, 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 and climbed through the little hole. Uh, for the Starship initial rough prototype, I was like, "This, like, what, what have we done? <laughs> this thing is too, thing is ridiculously big." Listen, <laughs> um, so now, now this actually can be great for science, though. Um, so, um, one of the exciting projects that we're working with is uh, with the Sol Sol Motor at Berkeley uh, on a. Um, a telescope, a space telescope, uh, that is able to, uh, use the, that, that, that what you, that you need, it's, it's, it's got an enormous lens. I think it's perhaps a seven or eight meter diameter, um, lens. 
and uh, it, it, it's actually a satellite that was meant for the, or, or a, a um, the lens was meant for, for a ground-based satellite. But if you then take that same satellite and put it in, um, in, in orbit, uh, its capabilities are greatly enhanced because you don't have the obfuscation of the, of the atmosphere. Um, so that, that's why, for example, the, the, the Hubble, which is actually a fairly small telescope, can do better than, uh, or, or I think any ground, any, any, maybe any historical ground satellite, especially in the visual spectrum. So, uh, so, so we're very excited about the, what, what it can do for space science. Um, because, because really at this point, especially for, for any photons that where there's interference with uh, the atmosphere, um, so any, any sort of short wavelength photons, you really want your satellite uh, to be uh, in vacuum, or your, your, your telescope to be in vacuum. Um, so that's really the future. So I think there's a lot of exciting potential there for planetary, uh, for, for space science. Um, and, um, but, but like I said, the, the, the really fundamentally, the reason it's so, so gigantic is, is that, uh, if, if you're on a, you know, long journey to Mars, I think being cooped up in a, something the size of a minivan would, would, uh, be unappealing to most people. Just so comparison for the audience here, I think the Hubble telescope was something like 2.4 meter diameter. Yeah. Uh, and so you're talking about, I think, three times the size, uh, somewhere along that order for the mirror. That's incredible. Um, we've seen some changes down there in Texas at Starbase. I don't know if that's where you're, you're, you're uh, streaming from here today, but uh, there's a new factory uh, that you're working on to enable a faster manufacturing rate. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? What are you trying to, what are your goals? What are you, what are you trying to achieve with the, with the new factory? Yeah, so we are building a giant factory for a giant rocket. Um, and, um, I mean, honestly, it's, it, I, I recommend people visit, uh, Starbase, um, as it turns out, it's, it's on a state highway. So for the, for, I think it's one of the rare situations where, um, uh, and I actually don't mind, I think it's kind of cool that the, that the public can actually drive within a literal stone's throw away from the factory and the launch site and actually see the rocket firsthand. And in fact, uh, if you go on the internet right now, including on the X platform, there are people who are live streaming at 24 uh, seven, the entire construction, uh, launch pad, everything. Um, and, um, so, so it's, it's, if people say like, well, can, can I go see it? It's so easy to go see. You can just literally fly to Brownsville and drive down, drive to the beach and you can see it literally a stone's throw away, the factory and the launch site. Um, so anyone who wants to do that, I, I recommend it. It's very, very easy. <laughs> no permission required. Um, so yeah, we're, we're building this giant rocket factory. Um, we, the engines are still manufactured in California at SpaceX uh, headquarters, uh, in, um, in, in Los Angeles, um, which, which is also, that's, it's also just an odd location. That's where we built the, 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 uh, Falcon 9 rockets and the Dragon spacecraft really about five minutes from LAX, um, at the, at sort of what used to be a Northrop headquarters, I believe. Um, uh, um, so that's, so yeah, anyway, that's, that's, but yeah, we're, we're rolling this, this giant factory. So the thing is, so in order to, um, if, if you look at the, in the grand scheme of things, say, okay, what is required to have a self-sustaining base on Mars or, or city on Mars? Um, you, you have to really think of it in, in terms of very large tonnage, uh, the, and, and if we can even get the tonnage estimate to correct to within an order of magnitude, I think we'd be doing well. Um, so the, you know, I think, I think we, we should probably aim for 
something like a million tons of useful load delivered to the surface of Mars, um, which requires roughly 5 million tons to Earth orbit. So, you know, if you get about 20, for whatever mass you get to Earth orbit, you get about 20% of that mass landed to the surface of Mars. You know, you will take, maybe you can get 25% optimistically. Um, so th that's why this thing is so gigantic, um, is we've got to get 5 million tons to, the, to, to Earth to orbit, which hopefully gets about um, a million tons to the surface of Mars. And hopefully a million tons is enough to create a self-sustaining city on Mars. Un incredible. Uh, so talking about Mars, any new predictions on when you, I know this is your ultimate goal, your destination. Uh, any predictions on when Starship might land on Mars without crew, maybe a crewed flight? Any, uh, any prediction there? Well, hmm. I think three or four years. Four years. That would yeah, be... something like. All right. Um, I have to check with the Earth Mars. Uh, you know, Earth and Mars. Uh, the you know, um, you get have orbital synchronization about every twenty six months. Um, so you can't just go. You fly to Mars when it's on the other side of the sun um, from Earth. Uh, that's uh, unwieldy. So that roughly every twenty six months, the orbits um, uh, are in the, the right relative position. Um, and then you, then you have the Mars transport window. Um, so I, I think, you know, but I think it's sort of feasible within the next four years, um, to do an uncrewed test, test landing that. Didn't have enough on your plate. You're doing a lunar lander version. Yes. Yeah. Well, really Starship should be a generalized, uh, transport system to anywhere in the solar system. That's, that's the intent with. When you, when you have propulsive landing, you, 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 you can land anywhere, whether there's an atmosphere, no atmosphere, um, you know, it, it's not really dependent on, uh, water, uh, you know, obviously, if, you know, for, for, uh, crude capsules on, on, on earth, we've generally gone with parachutes and water, um, well, you know, uh, and in Russia it's on land, but then they need retro rockets right at the end to sort of slow things down. Um, so. A, a, a propulsive system uh, should generalize to be able to land anywhere on a solid surface, anywhere on the, 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 the um, in the solar system. So, um, the, the, the moon, while it's sort of dusty, that, that, that the moon is actually hotter than it's, it's not just a big dust pile. So it's, it's hotter than you'd think, um, the, the, the lunar regolith. Um, so I'm, I'm sort of optimistic that we can take a starship that's fairly you know, unmodified from what would land on Earth or Mars. Obviously, you need legs. Um, but apart from that, I suspect you could land the Starship with minor modifications on, on the moon. And, and the same would go for once you have a propellant uh, plant on Mars, um, you could then go to the asteroid belt and, and the moons of Jupiter. Um, if you could establish a propellant plant there, um, then, um, then you could go to the uh, moons of Saturn and, and ultimately all the way out into the Gaber Belt and uh, Earth Todd. Well, what you're talking about requires propellant transfer, obviously, in orbit. Can you explain to everyone uh, uh, watching why that's necessary and how it works and, and how you work to progress to, to make that propellant transfer happen? Uh, yes. Yeah, so, 
really propeller transfer is, is a similar problem to just docking. Um, now we, we've gotten pretty good at docking with the, uh, Dragon going to the space station. Um, and docking with the space station is, uh, really quite difficult because it, uh, we didn't design the space station and the space station has a lot of complexities, uh, and has crew on board. So, uh, what we have to be extremely careful, um, mm -hmm. and that the, so docking with the space station take is, is like, I would say it's far more difficult to dock with the space station than it would be to dock with our own spaceship. Um, and, and so, uh, propellant transfer just really means, um, that we, we send a, a, a starship up there with, with no payload. Um, and, and it just transfers its propellant to, um, a ship that is already there. So you have to dock, dock with the ship that is going to Mars uh, or the moon and transfer the propellant, um, from a version of the ship that has no cargo. Now there's, 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 there'll be a future sort of, um, tanker optimized version of, of Starship, um, where, where we, you know, um, have, 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 we, we stretch the tanks, um, and have little to no cargo space, uh, because that's the optimal thing for a tanker, but, but you don't have to do that. Um, that will, that'll increase the, the, the propellant load of the tanker. Oh, yeah, the, the propellant transferability of the, of the, of the tanker, but it's not, it's not absolutely necessary. You could just, you could in theory use an unmodified Starship and transfer propellant that way. So, um, I, I would imagine that you're doing this and you may have multiple launches, uh, in either rapid succession or maybe multiple pads launching multiple versions of the vehicle. Is that all take place from Texas? Then how quickly do those launches have to take place to make this, uh, work? Yeah, we, we'll. We'll have a launch site in, in Texas, as well as in Florida. So we've actually partially built a Starship launch pad, um, at, uh, at 39A, which is where we launched, uh, Falcon Heavy and, um, our crude, uh, the crude Dragon. Um, so we've partially built, and we'll probably, we'll, we'll fully build that out over time and, and probably have, um, at some point a, a greenfield, um, location for Starship at, at the Cape. Um, now, in the in the sort of you say like four or five year time frame, where perhaps we're launching several times a day, uh, then we may need to go to uh, an ocean based like platform. Um, just if, if if you're launching, I don't know, ten times a day, uh, that might be a bit much for even for, even for the Cape. I don't know, um, but uh, we, so we may end up doing. Uh, platform-based launches, um, from, from, uh, from specially designed sort of ocean-going platform. Um, but we, we, we will need to do a lot of launches. I mean, we're talking about thousands of launches per year. So, uh, at, at, and, and so you, you do get up to the sort of what I was talking about, um, million tons or five million tons to orbit that if you've got, you know, uh, a thousand launches a year, each of which do over a hundred tons. That's a hundred thousand tons of like a cargo, you know, per, per year to orbit. Um, there's still not quite enough. Um, I think we'd want to get to roughly a million tons of orbit, uh, per, per year to, to earth, earth orbit per year, which would mean that you get to a million tons to Mars in five years. Now, these are very big numbers, obviously. Um, 
But just put things into perspective, uh, all of Earth's launch capability uh, right now, it, apart from Falcon, is about 400 tons to orbit per year. Um, Falcon 9 uh, this year will do, I think, around 15 or 1,600 tons. So Falcon 9, you know, it's already doing about 80% of Earth mass to orbit. Uh, and next year, we expect to increase that by about 40 or 50% on the Falcon side. So, you know, um, maybe 2,500 tons to orbit for Falcon next year. But these are small, still small numbers compared to what's required for um, essentially making life multiplanetary. For m making life multiplanetary, oh, you've got to be in the sort of hundreds of thousands to millions of tons of Earth orbit per year. Unbelievable numbers, really. Uh, somebody worked in the launch business for several years. It's uh, it's incredible for me to even try to think about that much mass to orbit in one year. It's, uh, it's that's crazy. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. Ludicrous mode, I think. Yeah, for launch. Very much so. Yeah, but a bit of that. It's it's it's, it's either either we do that or we're a single planet species forever. So we we, we either achieve uh, those kind of numbers or um, we will we will never have a self-sustaining city on Mars into building this amazing launch system you're also uh working on a polaris mission uh for that's going to allow i think dragon to open and have uh people uh, uh actually floating in space uh doing an eva and you're building a spacesuit for that um so you can talk to right. a little bit about that spacesuit and then can you use that same suit on the moon and mars and for other missions yeah so the spacex uh spacesuit um we, we do expect to evolve that to be something that can be an EVA suit on uh, the ground on the moon and Mars. Um, um, and um, it started off initially as, as really just a pressure suit, just in case there's an emergency, emergency depressurization of the spacecraft. Um, so it's, it's, it was basically like a self-contained life support system uh, in, in suit form. Um, and uh, obviously it will re re retain that capability, but uh, but but now um, for, for an upcoming flight, we we want to do an EVA or extra vehicle. Yeah, you know, basically go float around in space. Um, still on a tether, so it's not it's not going to be an independent uh, little little space little spacesuit that's just flying around. Um, we could do that, but and maybe that'll happen on a future flight. Uh, but it will be a tethered uh, EVA. Um, just you're just out there floating in the void, connected by a thin cord to the spaceship. Amazing. Uh, you uh, put a Tesla in space. This was like an amazing uh, thing to see a Tesla actually flying into space. So you've already put yeah. put one of the vehicles in space. Are you thinking about yeah. making a Tesla rover, uh, maybe Moon or Mars? Uh, any any ideas for a Cybertruck on the Moon? It would look cool. That's for sure. Um, the nice thing, the nice thing about electric cars is that obviously do not require oxygen to, uh, they're not a combustion cars, so they don't, they don't require, they don't have to ingest oxygen from the uh, ambient atmosphere. Um, so, um, yeah, I think you know, Tesla could easily make a car that, uh, you know, like a Cybertruck lunar variant, <laughs> just get, get the, get the moon oxygen package. Um, so, um. Yeah, I mean, the, the reason that we launched the car, the reason we launched the car with Falcon Heavy, I should say, is it was that uh, we wanted to have something that was exciting as a, uh, 
initial payload, but, but where the last of the wood would not be catastrophic. So you will wonder well, why is my, what's my car orbiting Earth and Mars? Um, cause it, it's, it's an, an elliptical orbit. Um, and, and actually it almost touches, it touches like the edge of the asteroid belt and, and goes past the orbit of Mars. It's just that we, we were, we weren't sure if the first flight of heavy would fail or not. And we wanted to just have a pit that was more exciting than punk. I thought it was brilliant, uh, really a, a masterstroke in terms of getting uh, attention of the world, really, to put that in orbit. Thanks. Uh, can Sp Starship be used as a space station? How long could it stay in orbit? And uh, wh what would be the purpose of that? How, how could that work? So how long could Starship be in orbit? Yeah, could it be its own oh. space station? If you wanted to put a Starship oh, yeah, up yeah, with yeah. a Caterpillar, a laboratory, how long could that, uh, could, could it stay in orbit and still come down? Oh, uh, there's no real limit to stay in orbit for a very long time. Um, the, 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 uh, the volume of the Starship bearing is roughly comparable to the volume of the, of the International Space Station. Um, so there's about, about a thousand cubic meters of, of volume in the, in the, uh, bearing. And I think, I think space stations comparable amount. And would have the power to so run a lot of laboratory experiments. Sorry. Yeah. Given that it's, given that it's similar volume to the space station, um, you, you could, uh, do what, what you're doing in the space station on a starship, uh, if you want, um. But there's no, there's no limit to how long it can stay out, stay up there. It's really just you, you, you need, you know, solar panels, battery, and, um, uh, some thrusters to maintain orbit. How about point to point transportation? I know, uh, when you were in Guadalajara, uh, at the IC, uh, you got, you kind of hinted at a little bit of the point, point to point capability of transportation. Uh, I, I can't remember the exact amount of time to get from one side of the world to the next, but can you talk about that? How do you see the, the future of point to point using, uh, using Starship? Yeah. So, uh, the, the fastest way with, with their own physics to get from one place to another on Earth is with a intercontinental ballistic missile. Um, this is, this is why ICBMs with nukes are kind of like the ultimate weapon. Um, now in this case, it's sort of lead the nuke at landing. Um, but it's, it's, it's certainly very feasible. Um, obviously if we can, uh, take off and trans and land on Mars or the moon, we can take off and land on earth too. Um, so, so it really comes down to a question of, of, is it economically viable compared to long distance aircraft? And I think our, our back the envelope numbers suggest that it, it actually has a shot at being economically viable for long distance transport on earth. Um, for, for a few reasons, um, the, the propellant cost is actually quite low being, um, uh, liquid methane, liquid oxygen, uh, the, the cost of liquid oxygen is it's primarily production. It's about, um, 77, 78%, uh, liquid oxygen by, by mass and roughly 22 or 23%, um, liquid methane. So the propellant cost is quite, it's the, it's the lowest cost propellant you could possibly, um, get on earth. And, um, and then the, um, 
the, because the rocket's moving so fast, uh, you, you can use it about in theory, about 10 times more than you could use an aircraft. So, um, there's so, so Falcon 9, oh, sorry, a starship can go from, let's say Los Angeles to Sydney or something like that, um, in 20 minutes, basically maybe half an hour at most. So, um, it, whereas the, I think, I think an airliner takes about 14 or 15 hours. So you've got something which is really much faster than an aircraft. And so for an airliner that you can do basically an order of magnitude more trips with Starship than you can with an airliner, which means that the, and there's and the, no, no pilots are needed. In fact, you can't, this is not, only a computer can pilot this because human reaction times are fast enough. Um, so then you don't have the pilot costs, you don't have the food costs, you don't have the um, you, you know, you don't really even need bathrooms if we can get there in half an hour. So it, it actually would work out that, uh, it's, it's actually, we think lower cost than long distance aircraft. Okay. You got a little chuckle here in the crowd about the no bathroom line. So <laughs> I think people are looking forward to it. Yeah. I mean, less than a half an hour, you know, you say like, go, just go before you hop on, you know, <laughs> and, um, It'll be there fast. I mean, you, you, you could technically, um, you know, um, have, I don't know, bre breakfast in LA, uh, lunch in London and, you know, dinner in Singapore and then be back, back in LA for bedtime. So you're connecting now, I think something like 2 million people with Starlink, right? With your, with your satellite communication system, uh, and growing rapidly. Um, you're mastering communications from space to earth, uh, from low earth orbit. You're now doing, uh, inter-satellite links, uh, with this system. Uh, what do you see for Starlink being used as a relay, let's say around the moon or for comm relay all the way to Mars and back? Well, for, for Mars, for Mars, you'd want, um, basically like a laser relay system, essentially it sort of depends on what, you, what, what, what bandwidth are you looking for? Obviously, in order to have continuous coverage uh, with Mars, you'd have to um, uh, have some relay system because you can't transmit through the sun. So when Mars, is on the, you know, when the sun's between you and the and Mars, you have to um, do a bank shot um, through a relay satellite um, so that your photons don't have to go through the sun. Um, uh, so and and then it just like well, ultimately we would want you know, terabit, maybe petabit level data transfer between Earth and Mars. So then you're going to, you don't want probably some, some relay satellites along the way to be able to do that. Um, it's, it's just really, it's a bandwidth thing. Um, you, you'd want to use lasers. Um, and then the, the, the laser beam is going to widen, um, with distance so that then you need to be able to receive the laser beam before it gets too wide. Um, this means that you need a series of satellites, uh, in order to, um, communicate with Mars at, at its furthest distance, especially, uh, with very high bandwidth. Well, you can obviously do low bandwidth, uh, with longer wavelength length photons, but, but, but if, if there's a, you know, human city on Mars, uh, you'd want to have very high bandwidth. So therefore a bunch of lasers, uh, and, and satellites, Starlink already uses inter, uh, lasers for inter-satellite communication. 
So if, if I may, just a couple more questions. Um, throughout this week here at the IC, uh, we've been inspired. There's thousands of young people here. I think 41% of our delegates are under the age of 35, which is incredible by, by any uh, space conference metric. We get a lot of young people here. Uh, there's delegates from the Space Generation Advisory Council, from the Future Space Leaders Foundation, from the YP program here at the IAF. Do you have a message for these young people, the young engineers and scientists that are here? Many of them have been inspired by you. Anything you can say to them about pursuing a career in space or what motivated you to do all the things that you're doing? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm interested in that which both the civilization um, and I, I think we want to expand the scope and scale of consciousness so as to better understand the nature of the universe. Um, and even to ask, understand which questions to ask. Like, um, you know, one of the most inspiring books I've read was uh, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, um, where, where in the, they're, they're trying to understand the meaning of life in the, you know, Hitchhiker's Guide. And the, I mean, the larger message of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is that you, you actually need to know what questions to ask about the answer that is the universe. And we, we don't yet know what questions to ask. So I'm just curious, really. I'm just curious as to the nature of reality. Um, where, does, where, where, do, where does it all go to? Where does, it go, where does it come from? Where are the aliens, for example? Are there aliens? Is it, are we alone? Um, people often ask me um, if I'm seeing any evidence of, of aliens. And I unfortunately have seen uh, no evidence of aliens yet. We are the aliens, as far as I can tell. Um, and I think if anyone would know, it would probably be me. And I've not seen any evidence of aliens. So what, what that perhaps suggests is that, um, the, this tiny candle of consciousness that is humanity, uh, is all that exists in a vast darkness. Um, and we should do everything we can to ensure that the candle does not go out. Well, Elon, I'd like to thank you for joining us today. Good luck with your next launch. Thank you. Thanks. It was an honor to be, be, Thank you, everyone.